What's up, everybody? Jackson Fuller here, and you are listening to another episode of Hog in the Mic. I'll be joined by Andrew Hutchinson momentarily. We're recording this episode on Sunday evening, uh, coming off another roller coaster week for the Arkansas basketball team. We will discuss the lost optimism after Saturday's uh, dismantling in the bayou before diving into plenty of baseball talk with that season less than two weeks away. Um, the Hogs opened spring practice or a couple weeks ago. We've had some time now to kind of digest what we've seen through about four scrimmages or so. Um, let's play that generic podcast rock music, bring Hutch in, and uh, dive into the latest episode of Hog in the Mic. Hutch, how's it going, man? Are you uh, are you getting mentally prepared yet for uh, the brief upcoming stretch that we're going to have of basketball, baseball, and spring football all going on at once? I really am trying not to think about that. Uh, not looking forward to it uh, very much. Uh, it'll be my first time going through this part time of year with two kids now. So uh, shout out to my wife for. Uh, everything she does to help me able to do all this stuff. So, uh, but right now I'm just trying to, to relax and, uh, trying to, to, you know, use this, this upcoming bye week or by open date or whatever for the basketball team to kind of, kind of recharge and gear up for that. Yeah. Uh, thankfully or not so thankfully, uh, depending on how you look at it, we won't have too long of an overlap of all three sports, uh, it doesn't look like the basketball team will be playing for much of March. The Hogs created some momentum on Wednesday with a blowout victory over Missouri. Vibes were high. I think people thought, you know, maybe not a complete turnaround, but hey, this team has kind of found something to at least be competitive and make the last part of the SEC season entertaining. Well, they got completely ran out of the Pete Maravich Assembly Center on Saturday. Final score, LSU 95, Arkansas 74 their fourth SEC loss by at least 20 points. And really, it felt much worse than that. Hutch, I texted you after the Missouri game telling you that there was far too much optimism on social media. But I fell for it, too. I predicted an Arkansas win on Saturday in LSU. Uh, were you wrong like me? What did you kind of? What were your expectations for this team after the Missouri game going into the LSU one? I don't know if I maybe expected a win in LSU, but I at least expected competitiveness. Uh, which we did not see at all. Uh, basically, from the jump, it was very much like uh, those first five SEC losses where they just got ran out of the gym. So uh, I, I did think that you know like everything I wrote throughout the week was qualified everything with, it was against Missouri, but because Missouri's just terrible. I mean, they, they are just god-awful. And so you have to qualify it with that. But I didn't know that it was they were that bad. Because what the, we saw on Saturday against LSU was more of the same. So yeah, I, I was I was a little bit surprised that they weren't. I, I thought I thought they had a chance to at least make it a you know, you know one or two possession game in the final minute or so and then something like that. But uh, they they did not. It was really it was a twenty one point game. It was worse than a twenty one point margin if you really look back at it. Yeah, I think my optimism for that game in particular just kind of stemmed from, I don't think LSU's been playing the best offense uh, in SEC, especially as of late. They entered that game on a three-game losing streak, and I really did like what I was seeing from the Arkansas defense, the Kentucky and the Missouri game. Uh, But hey, I think maybe uh, I should have paid a little bit more attention to what happened in the second half against Missouri because the defense leaked oil there, and uh, that carried over to Saturday. My immediate takeaways from that game were just, I think maybe the the win over Missouri and the close loss to Kentucky were fool's gold a little bit in the sense I think we saw some limitations of this team without Trevon Brazil and, and Devontae Davis. Uh, they lacked just places to go to offensively. I think Jalen Graham played pretty well and, uh, you, you know, Makai Mitchell eh, played okay, I thought, in the in the LSU game. But when you when you throw it down to those guys and and try and get two points on post ups every time, that's just not an efficient method of offense, especially when LSU's making everything from from three point range. And 
it, it just, I think that maybe teams kind of caught up to what Arkansas was doing. They completely changed styles of play, right? Coming like without Trevon and uh, Trevon and uh, and Devo. I mean, just kind of a they tried to be a smash mouth, big man minded team, and that just didn't work against LSU. Yeah, especially when you can't defend the three. I mean, Eric Musselman was again asked about it after the game, like, you know, what what led to LSU's you know fast start? Like, how do you fe- fix that? And he's like. Well, we can't stop. We can't defend the three. We can't prevent dribble drives, and we haven't been able to do that all year. And so it just was—you don't really feel warm and fuzzy whenever you hear those kind of things because it doesn't really sound like there's any hope that that changes. You know, I mean, you, you mentioned it's maybe not the most efficient thing to go down low and you'll get two points each possession or whatever. But for Arkansas, I mean, that probably is the most efficient thing when you're shooting about twenty percent from beyond the arc. Um, you just have to be able to prevent the other team from getting three points <laughs> in, in their possession, and that's just something they they haven't been able to do for whatever reason. Yeah, and I, I've mentioned this in kind of my thoughts on this team is that there, I don't think there's enough dribble penetration and paint touches to unlock other avenues of the offense. And clearly, Arkansas started finding those paint touches, but it wasn't from guards. It was from centers, post-ups, you know, uh, even Graham and, and Lawson and Mitchell had a nice little two game, two man game going at times where they would assist each other. But LSU was just so physical. I think they knew that that was the only way that they would lose to Arkansas is if they let those big guys have their way down low. And, uh, the, you know, Arkansas got going a little bit offensively in the second half, but the first half, I mean, I think LSU made seven three pointers and they finished 12 of 23, 52%. 52%. I mean, you're just not going to win a game where, you know, the other team's shooting 50% from three and you only make three, uh, three, three pointers yourself. So tough stuff from Arkansas, but really the most disappointing thing for me about what we watched on Saturday was just the body language. They took the first punch early. And while I don't think they gave up, they definitely didn't look like a team who believed there was a road back to a win. I mean, have you ever seen that type of body language from an entire Arkansas team and, and even Coach Musselman from during his time here over the past four years? Not that comes to mind immediately, but I will say Eric Musselman, the one thing about him, and I don't even know it's necessarily a bad thing, is that dude hates to lose. He he is what kind of what you would call a sore loser, but I mean that in the nicest of ways. Because every time he loses, you know, he is just in the most sour mood. He just can't handle it. You know, some coaches every now, you know, if they lose, they're, you know, still okay to deal with post game and stuff like that. But Musselman, it like, it physically eats at him. And I just think it's because he's such a competitive guy. Uh, So his body language, maybe I don't, you know, put as much like, oh, God, that body language means it's the end of the world or whatever. Like he, I think he's probably accepted that this, this team stinks and that there's no hope of, even maybe even making making an NIT run. Um, and so, I mean, yeah, it's it's not good. But, you know, I, I feel like Musselman's body language has has been like that from time to time, you know, over his first four years as well, but just not as frequently because they haven't lost, lost as frequently. I saw a stat uh, after the game that Arkansas has now lost four games by at least 20 points. They had lost four games by at least 20 points over the last four years under Musselman combined. So... Already wow. matched that, and all four of those games have been in SEC play, which makes it even more incredible. Yeah, I guess I guess maybe it's a little harsh for me to kind of critique the body language at this point of the season, just because there's not really much left to play for. <laughs> I mean, I guess if you really want to be a a believer until the end, Arkansas, hey, can they get out of that like bottom four teams in the SEC or? however many it is and and not have to play every single day of the SEC tournament. Cause I mean, the only way they're probably going to get an NCAA tournament bid at this point is a, a magical run in the SEC tournament. So let's make that as easy as possible. Um, I will say one thing I do like that I have liked from uh, the past two games and especially against uh, LSU is he's kind of letting, he's letting Layden blocker learn on the fly. Um, you know, it wasn't a terrific performance by any means from the freshman. Only nine points, uh, you know, two of six shooting. He went five of ten from the free throw line. But he only had one turnover. He did have three assists. 
he's he gets to the basket. He's not great at finishing right now, but he does get to the basket. He's able to kind of hang in the air and avoid defenders. I'm like I'm, I'm I enjoyed kind of letting Musselman letting the freshman kind of play through some of his struggles because look if if I I think everyone that's uh, involved with this program and a fan wants Layden back next year and if you can start giving him some really big time minutes right now that can be a good thing for the future of the program with him maybe being a face of the program in the years to come. Yeah, throw in the fact that he's a local kid, you know, from Little Rock, uh, makes it even kind of more special. That's why you know Arkansas fans will will want him back and can hopefully build around him. I mean, he was a highly regard, regarded recruit. Uh, at one point, he was a five-star recruit. I think he ended up being mostly a, a four-star across the board, but uh, still highly regarded. And, and you're right. I mean, there's there's times where he's – I'm like, man, if he could just figure out how to finish around the rim, finish in traffic, then he would be a really good player because um, he, he brings the intensity defensively. Um, and honestly, the style of his play really reminds me of a young Devo Davis. You know, I know that may rub people the wrong way and everything, but, I mean, a good Devo – it was really good, and I think Layton Blocker could even be you be very similar to that. You know, bringing the intensity defensively, he's going to go do all the dirty work. You never have to worry about him giving effort, uh, no matter what the score, what time the game's left, or whatever. Um, but yeah, if he could just figure out how to finish and you know improve the the free throw shooting, can't be going five of ten, especially if you're going to be a guy that you know drives and, and draws fouls. Um, but I, I really like what he can do, and I. Maybe if he's going to be a point guard, he probably needs to be a little bit better distributor. I think maybe that was something that, you know, Eric Mussman has, you know, maybe been hesitant to play him at the point guard spot. I think we talked about that last week on the podcast. But, again, he's a freshman. He needs to learn. So I, I, I'm I'm with you. I'm glad they gave him, you know, are, are letting him start and then also giving him some, some solid minutes. And hopefully that will be consistent over these next nine games. Yeah, I mean, he so he did play, of course, with Keon Menefield alongside him in the back in the backcourt a ton uh, the past couple games. Um, but you know, I, Menefield played twenty one minutes. Blocker played twenty five. I mean, Blocker led the entire backcourt in in minutes played, other than Tremont Mark, uh, who is just going to play as many minutes as, as possible. But I also kind of he's he's not a point guard. I think. Musselman tried to get him, you know, tested out and see if Tremont Mark could be the point guard of this team. It didn't really work very well just because it just didn't work. I mean, Tremont is, Tremont's not a, he's not a great passer. He's not been, you know, come di- dialing up the assists all season. Um, it makes the offense kind of sticky and, and stagnant when he's running the point guard. So it's better for him to be off ball. And, you know, when right now he's not playing Al Ellis, of course, uh, KB didn't really play much at all in this game in nine minutes. I don't think he played in the entire second half. So Layden's, it seems like Layden is going to get some run here. And like you said, if he can start to grow with confidence as a distributor, as kind of an organizer of the offense, that's good for the entire program. I mentioned uh, KB, Califf battle re- right there. I got to say, I'm a little disappointed with him only getting nine minutes. I know he was 0 for 3. He missed all his shots. He was minus 21 in those nine minutes. But, I mean, look, you lost by 21. <laughs> it would have been nice to have had some sort of offensive juice uh, out there on the floor, and he's one of the guys that can kind of provide that. It's just it's just too much stop-start with this team all season. You know, uh, KB was great against Missouri. Not, no real consistent run against LSU. And I think... I don't know, Hutch. For me, I think that's the cardinal sin of this team is, look, I'm not saying that they would have been a lot better if Musselman would have found five guys and just rolled with them through the highs and the lows. But I I do think that we're getting to the point now where this team is starting to, there's some toxic vibes because of the lack of continuity all season. Yeah, I think there's something a little bit to be said there. I mean, especially with battle, like, I felt like at least early in the game, he came out with really good defensive intensity, which is something that he had struggled with, you know, mo- or like earlier in the season. That was probably his biggest criticism for Eric Mosman is that he didn't play defense very well. And I think he had a couple of like steals or he was like right there, you know, very active early on. Like I'm talking like the first like three minutes. Uh, and so it was a little bit surprising. I didn't even notice it while watching it live. Maybe, maybe because I kind of, checked out mentally in the second half but I didn't even notice that he didn't even play at all uh until Eric Musselman was asked about it post game so 
it, that is a little bit odd. And you can kind of you can kind of feel it. I know there was a little spat that the ESPN two cameras caught with Makai Mitchell and uh, Musk going back and forth, and Makai screaming at him a little bit. And uh, it was really oh, that was a weird situation. I was I asked Musk about it, and he indicated it was something to do with you know the the defensive coverages and like how they were playing defensively. But it happened right after Makai had turned the ball over, uh, which. I mean, I, I texted you after the game. Like, I didn't even feel like it was fully Makai's fault. Like, it looked like Keon Minifield should have been looking for the ball and, like, running down the court, you know, like a point guard to you know, start the break on a turnover. Uh, that didn't happen, and that's why the ball went right back to Missouri or to LSU. Uh, so it, it was a little bit just kind of you're you're starting to feel like maybe the vibes aren't as good as they were early in the year where you still thought, okay, they're going to, they're going to keep fighting. They're going to get this thing turned around and, and you'll at least be competitive. And they just keep not being competitive. And I can't, at some point, just human nature is going to kick in and they're going to let go of the rope. Yeah, it feels like they they might have already. Uh, but we haven't talked really much about the Missouri game. And I think it's, there's a reason for that, right? We're going off what we've seen against LSU and the Missouri. And like you said, Missouri is really bad. Definitely the worst team in the SEC this year. But I, we got to give Arkansas some flowers, at least, for how they responded. Coming off that home environment against Kentucky, I think a lot of people expected maybe a letdown going on the road to play the last place team in the SEC. Team. In the SEC there was no letdown. Arkansas came out fired up. They, they got on Missouri early, and I was impressed with that response. Unfortunately, they could not make it a three-game response. It was uh, just a two-game run. And I want to correct myself. I said KB played pretty well against Missouri. Just looking back, I mean, he only played 15 minutes. Um, I thought I just remember it differently. But he did have two assists and only one turnover in that game, but just six points. It's clear when Muss is kind of thinking about his backcourt right now, it's the the top three are Menafield, Mark, and and Blocker. And uh, hard to uh, hard to blame him too much for that thinking, just based off how those four got those. Three guys and KB have played uh, this season. Speaking of Muss Hutch, I think we, you know, Arkansas fans collectively lost their minds this week with a uh, some rumors, and I think specifically uh, there was a post from the X account, formerly known as Twitter X account, at coaching changes, which basically said that uh, Eric Musselman is uh, sniffing around other jobs. The uh, and a quote from the tweet was working on an exit strategy. Uh, this account has 27,000 followers, but it is anonymous. I'm taking any anonymous account with a grain of salt, no matter what they say or how many followers they have. But still, I think it's worth mentioning. I mean, what do you think's going on here, Hutch? Do you think this could be Muss's last year in Fayetteville, potentially? You, I don't really know. Like, I don't know how much talk to put in it like you, just because it is anonymous and everything. But uh, it wouldn't just completely shock me just because of Eric Musselman's personality and everything. I mean, he's a guy that's, you know, looking to get on to the next challenge. And I don't know if this year maybe burnt him out a little bit and, and frustrated him. I don't know what all is going on behind the scenes. I know a lot of people want to say like, you know, is it the, you know, NIL or whatever? Well, I mean, Kansas and, you know, Duke and all those schools have NIL too, and it's not bothering them as much. So I, I don't know what to really put in that. I mean, and I mean, I've always heard, you know, I've always felt at least that Musk would eventually want to go back west. You know, he is a West Coast guy. I mean, he coached in the NBA out there. He's from San Diego. Uh, his mom lives out there. I know she hadn't really been able to come to any of his games. So it wouldn't surprise me, like, if one of those jobs out west, you know, UCLA is the one that everyone keeps talking about as the, maybe the possible landing spot. Um, you know, I've heard Arizona State. I think he coached there as an assistant. Uh, coming up uh, and so uh, it, it wouldn't shock me like just completely stun me if he left uh, but it also could be I mean who knows what his agent's doing behind closed doors to try to give him another raise uh, it would be weird to get a raise and extension off of a terrible year like this but again you look at him from a whole you know the last three years have been tremendous and I think I want to say it's been a couple of years since he got his last extension and raise so uh, there may be some stuff going on behind those scenes there. Who knows? Yeah, uh, I'd like to shout out the um, X account at Curry Hicks Sage. 
Uh, he does some coaching search stuff on uh, X slash Twitter. And he said that in 35 years, Muss has had stints at 15 places with none lasting more than five years. So I think that's kind of the the core of this, of us wondering, right? Is just, he's never really hung out somewhere for a while. You know, he does have a very intense personality. Maybe that wears on a program eventually. I think Arkansas would be foolish to want him to leave. I think, you know, neither of us are suggesting that. Um, if, If he wants to come back, he's the guy next year in Fayetteville, no matter what happens the rest of this year. But um, it is it is something to monitor, and you bring up the UCLA job. I, I I put this together literally ten minutes ago before we went live, and I want to kind of see what your thoughts are because uh, as part of my what the hog this week, which I forgot to do last week, but uh, was going to be about. I saw some Arkansas people saying that I think that the the Arkansas job was like a top ten college basketball job. And I read that and I immediately was like, whoa, like, let's let's settle down here, folks. But then I, I kind of got to thinking, like, is it maybe a top 10 job? So I put together a list of the top 20, like, college basketball jobs. And um, I'm going to go through that really quickly. Some like the top seven, because I think there's a top seven and then there's a little bit of a drop off to the next tier. So in no particular order for the first four. Um, is Kentucky, Kansas, Carolina, and Duke. I think of the next three, I've got UCLA, Texas, and Indiana. And then, so that right there is seven. And then, of these schools, are there any of them, Hutch, that you think Arkansas is absolutely a better or worse job than? Or does it fall into the, does Arkansas maybe fall into this category? I've got Louisville, Ohio State, Michigan State, Arizona, Villanova, and Michigan. Is that are they a tier above Arkansas, or do you think Arkansas is in that tier? I think so. That's first of all, I want to ask you. So you have Texas in that that next tier. What about Texas gets them in that tier? I want to ask that first. So. That uh, it it is give me giving Texas a little bit more credit than maybe it deserves based off of how the school has performed basketball wise, but the program is going to have more money than any program in the country. It's the it's arguably the best recruiting ground in the nation uh, with the size and the scope of high school basketball in Texas. Um, they are coming to the SEC next year, which I think actually helps them a little bit. Because I don't think that if you if you talk college basketball with the diehards, I think people know that the Big 12 is a better basketball conference than the SEC right now. But I don't think that matters in terms of the national landscape and how people view programs. I think people are going to view the SEC and the Big 12 on a certain probably level playing field. And honestly, Texas leaving the likes of Kansas, uh, you know, Oklahoma State, Baylor, those, those Oklahoma State, I might not have, might, maybe I shouldn't have said that, uh, that school particularly, but Kansas, Kansas State, um, Baylor, uh, there's rumors Gonzaga could go to the Big 12. I don't know how far along those, those rumors are, but I think, I think Texas just with the money, the recruiting ground, I, I think for a, for a head coach, I do think it's, that, that would be a better, spot than kind of the next tier and maybe maybe i'm wrong there uh, i feel weird leaving michigan state and villanova below texas um just based off their those two schools successes but i think a lot of those two schools successes are based off the coaches that they've hired in uh jay wright and and tom Izzo. so that's my long-winded maybe i ranked texas too highly but that was my reasoning for it Okay, I, I mean, I hear you. I, I would probably have Texas lower. Uh, maybe that's a little bit because I've <laughs> grown up in Arkansas, and there's just that little anti-Texas bias just kind of even in the back of my head. Um, and I do have a lot of money and everything, but it's still, it's football is king. And I mean, obviously, at most places, unless you're Kentucky in the SEC, football is king, even at Arkansas. But Arkansas has at least made its way itself to where it can be like a basketball, you know, School, I mean, you could get 20,000 fans and everything. The fan support, I feel like, is is there. Um, now, are the resources the same? I think that's probably not the case. 
um, you would like to think they would be. Uh, I know Arkansas fans would probably argue that they are. I just don't think that is, you know, we haven't seen that happen yet. Uh, maybe things change with NIL and everything like that. But uh, if you're just thinking from a basketball, like history and everything like that, there's no comparison. Arkansas is the better program uh, through the years historically. Uh, I would say like, you know, they're better than Ohio state historically, you know, from a basketball program. I don't know about the resource and everything. I'm sure Ohio state's very similar to Texas and the money and all that kind of stuff. But uh, yeah, it is weird to hear, you know, I I would put Michigan state and Villanova, especially Villanova, because I think they've done it with multiple coaches. I think, I mean, they won a national title in the eighties and that was a long time ago, but still uh, they've, they've done it with other coaches. And of course, you know, Michigan state, I guess did too. Um, thinking back to, you know, magic Johnson and things like that. But, uh, you know, I don't know if it, it's really hard to really sit down and play. So I think you're, you're exact. The top four, you can't debate those. I mean, those, those schools are pretty much set. You know, I think UCLA is right there and everything too. So it it's borderline top 10. I think the job Eric Musselman has done over the last three years, that's a good thing, is if Eric Musselman does leave, he has raised the program to a level to where it is at least considered borderline top 10. When he took over, it probably wasn't, just because it had been gone so long since the Nolan Richardson days. You know, you had to suffer through Stan Heath and John Pelfrey. You know, Mike Anderson kind of got it going a little bit, but not nearly consistent enough to where you would consider it even close to a blue blood. Um, And then, you know, Mike... er, Eric Musselman comes in, immediately takes him to an Elite Eight, back-to-back years, a Sweet 16. You know, he's recruiting at an incredibly high level. I think he's proven that, you know, even though Arkansas is not a super fertile ground, although they do have pretty good in-state basketball recruiting, um, you can get guys, get guys in. I mean, I think he's got, uh, I think he's got a guy committed from the state of California uh, whose name escapes me at the moment. Uh, That's like a borderline five-star recruit, so... Uh, that tells me you, you can recruit to Arkansas if you are a good recruiter. It just takes a good recruiter like Eric Musselman. And, uh, you know, previously co- those coaches, you know, Mike Anderson, I'm a huge Mike Anderson guy, uh, probably more so than some people. He just did not recruit at the level that we've seen Eric Musselman do the last few years. Yeah. Uh, so the, the, just real quick, the a couple things. Um the com- the commits the signees that they've got Jalen Shelley who plays at Link Academy which I believe is in Texas uh, he's from Missouri but he's playing his high school basketball in Texas at ninety five percent sure Link Academy is in Branson Missouri same okay, school okay. as uh, so Jordan Walsh gotcha okay cool so so that's the that that's a four star recruit and then Isaiah Elohim from Sierra Canyon. Um, which is right outside of Los Angeles. That's where uh, Bronny James and USC's uh, highest uh, Collier kid, um, both from there. Um, the, Collier was the number one recruit. So, yeah, I mean, Musselman's shown he can recruit. Uh, and then another sidebar real quickly, I failed to mention UConn. I think they are clearly in that second tier below Kentucky, Carolina, Kansas, and Duke. So all of that long-winded ranking and nonsense that we didn't I didn't really organize very well. It was just a way for me to kind of say two of the jobs that keep coming up are Louisville and, and UCLA that potentially Musselman could be interested in. That hard to argue if it's not a complete step up, it's at least lateral and maybe to a place that can offer that's desperate for a winner can offer Musselman maybe a little bit more than what Arkansas is currently providing him. Uh who knows, you know, but other than those two jobs, Musselman's going to, he'd probably be taking a step down in terms of job status and position if he were to leave Arkansas. And I think that's just the most fascinating part about these rumors is, you know, if he's not the choice at, at those two, but does want out, he's going to have to, you know, make a decision that, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm leaving for something that's, uh, viewed nationally as a worse job, which might not be the worst idea. I mean, Shaka Smart, you know, leaving Texas and now really thriving at Marquette is a perfect example of where a guy leaving for a better fit. But I think Musselman's a pretty good fit here in Arkansas. I just think that this this one year, uh, the evaluation, the off season additions just didn't 
they didn't go well and he's paying the price right now, but I don't think that means he can't turn this around and next year be right there competing for an SEC title and making another deep tournament run. Uh, so that long-winded way for that, me to kind of express that thought. Um, I don't know if you if you have any follow-up on that, Hutch, or we can kind of move on to some, some, some baseball talk after that. Yeah, I'll add that, you know, the other thing that a school like Louisville or UCLA offers is that it is in a bigger city. And I think that that does mean something. I mean, Eric Musselman has grown up in big cities. Um, and I think Danielle, I believe, is kind of a, from big cities, and that's where she's lived. And so maybe that would, you know, potentially be a factor as well. Like, especially with Louisville, I know some Arkansas fans may think that that's, you know, a lateral move, but, uh, you know, you can debate that all the time, but Louisville is a bigger city than Fayetteville, Arkansas. So, you know, maybe that would, uh, you know, be a, a factor as well. It's in the other schools, like I've seen like Minnesota thrown around. I can't imagine Eric Musselman going somewhere that cold, um, <laughs> but uh, it is, it would have a sentimental uh, side of it. Cause I'm pretty sure Eric's dad coached at Minnesota back in the day. Uh, and so, I mean, but it, again, it would also be a, a big city. Minneapolis is a very big city. So uh, that may also be a factor into it as well. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, look, Mus. Hey, Walmart is growing. Bentonville is gonna. This is this is big city land in five ten years, man. Just just hang around and uh, and watch it flourish. Uh, uh, it'll be. I mean, we're not gonna be able to escape this story as uh, as the weeks and months kind of pass by here, and uh, just figured we had to mention it. I don't think either of us want to go report anything concrete or anything like that right now, but it's worth keeping an eye on and. Uh, I'm very interested to see what the final decision uh, there is, but let's move on to baseball. Uh, you know, we don't have any regular season games to discuss yet. Still a couple weeks away, but Arkansas has had four scrimmages that have been open to us and the public. Uh, I've been to a couple of them. I think you've been to three. Just simply, Hutch, what's been your biggest takeaway so far from what you've seen out of the out of the Razorbacks on the on the diamond? I think that there's still some really good competition. I think there's going to be some really good players that have to start the season on the bench just because there's only, you know, nine spots in the lineup. Uh, there's only so many, uh, you know, uh, spots in the, you know, not just the rotation, but in the bullpen, there's only so many innings to go around for the pitching. Uh, so I think that that's a good thing, you know, uh, specifically, Kendall Diggs, really, really good. I mean, obviously he hit, he hit two home runs in the first scrimmage. He homered again the other day off of uh, Mason Molina. Uh, so he's so if you're keeping track at home, Kendall Diggs has homered off of Hagen Smith and Mason Molina. Arguably your two best pitchers. They're both lefties. That's a lefty on lefty dinger. Um, that's that's impressive. Kendall Diggs has been very very impressive, uh, and I'm very much looking forward to seeing him over a full weekend. You know, in in a, in a series. Uh, you know, against James Madison when the season gets underway. I'm very, very anxious to see how he can do. And um, I'm also very anxious to see kind of how those other, you know, position battles play out. You know, it, uh, you know, specifically, I'm really anxious to see how left field turns out um, between Jason Jones and Will Edmondson and maybe Ross Lovich. Um, you know, I did know, I do know J- Jason Jones has kind of struggled a little bit offensively um, so far this preseason. But he did hit a home run in the uh, Saturday scrimmage that was indoors in the Fowler Center that, uh, that was close to the fans and, pu- and media and stuff. Uh, but I was told he did hit a home run in that. So that's good to hear. Hopefully that could be the start of, I think he went two for three as well. So hopefully that could be the start of him getting going and, and really kind of take command of that, that job in left field. Yeah, and he also he also went one for three uh, with a an RBI on uh, on Friday in the scrimmage, and it was a really good at bat too. Where I think he got worked to two strikes maybe, and I think base hit up the middle. Am I remembering that right? I think that's right. That, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, I I mean I I said this last time we talked. I think I think at least to start the season, Jason Jones, mm-hmm. they are going to do everything in their power to make him the starting left fielder. Uh, does it last? I think that. There's too much good competition for um, any early season struggles to like. Hey, let's let's work you through it. Uh, but I do think that there is going to be an effort made to get get him rolling at least early in the season. Um, my biggest takeaway: I have I had some reservations about Vahiva Aloy 
uh, the transfer from Sacramento State coming over here. Just anytime a guy transfers to, you know, from a smaller school like that to the SEC, I worry about them facing SEC pitching week in and week out. But man, uh, since since they started doing, you know, the scrimmage, at least in the scrimmages outside, he's five for nine with two home runs, three RBIs and three runs. He's looked pretty good at shortstop as well. Um, I know the fielding is still kind of a, a concern. Um, that was one of the things that at least D1 Baseball, Baseball America have kind of pointed to. This could be a weakness for Arkansas as they might not be the best defensive team. Um, he looked He's looked solid from what I've seen so far in the spring. Um, I know he had some issues in the fall, but man, him backing up digs. I think that for me was kind of a, a, a spot in the order that I was really curious about. And concern might be a strong word, but I was I was wondering like how good will that will that position in the lineup be? Because look, Diggs is he walks a lot, and when he's not hitting home runs, he's going to be walking and and hitting doubles and putting himself in in position. You need someone behind him that can drive him in. And I think I think Aloy is gonna is gonna have a really good season, and I'm excited from what I've, I'm seeing so far, especially you know the power that he has, and uh, if he can. I know batting average is maybe uh, not the most important thing anymore. Uh, it's for better or for worse one of the first things that I still look at when I go to a, you know a box score or statistics or anything. Uh, if he can just if he can get on base and and limit the strikeouts, the power is there, and that's going to be he, he's going the three four of Diggs Alloy could be the best three four combination in the SEC this year, and that's really saying something considering the pop that LSU and Florida have. Yeah, I think Aloy, I think he's I think he's going to strike out maybe more than fans would like him to. Um maybe not quite like, you know, here's a reference you're not going to understand. Casey Martin a few years ago, that that was Arkansas shortstop back in I think he played third base in 2018 as a freshman, they moved to shortstop in uh, 2019 and 2020. This is a guy that struck out a ton, but he also had incredible power. Uh, and could, you know he had a lot of home runs. He also had incredible speed. I don't think Aloy is quite the the burner as, as Martin was, but uh, I think he's going to have similar. Like he's going to strike out some, uh, but I think if if he gets a hold of it, he's going to hit it hard. He's got great exit velos uh, at the, at the plate. Um, so I, I've been very impressed with him. I think he leads the team in home runs between the fall and preseason scrimmages. So uh, that tells you right there he's got the power. Uh, I'm I'm very excited to see how he can do this year because I think he's going to be one of those guys that uh, fans are are really enjoy, really enjoy to watch. Yeah, and I think uh, I'm going to go through these kind of really really quickly. I think so far in what we've seen from the spring, he is starting to like cut down on those strikeouts. I think, and of course, this is such a small sample size, and they're going against you know their own pitching that they see all the time and everything like that. But uh, I'm not going to go through every single box score, but he is making more contact, you know, five for nine, pretty good. The strikeouts are going to be there, but that's something that according to you and uh, some other guys that I've talked to uh, on this beat, Dave Van Horn will live with uh, the strikeouts as long as he's getting extra, you know, uh, doubles, triples, home runs and walks and making sure there's extra base hits and, and getting on base and he'll, he'll take the strikeouts every once in a while. So uh, I did want to pick your brain on this Hutch. I didn't realize that uh, Peyton Stovall had a complex history with the uh, leadoff position. When I asked DVH who would be hitting leadoff a couple weeks ago, it certainly looks like it's going to be Stovall. Um, you know, what's up with, with that kind of the history there. And uh, are you concerned at all about him? Maybe, getting back to that leadoff spot that he, he hasn't had a, a great time with, it sounds like, in, in years past. Yeah, so it was his freshman year. Uh, he hit leadoff at the first part of that season, and I think it's because, and I think he earned it too. Like, I mean, as, as a guy who has saw saw him play in the fall and everything, you know, there was all this, all this hype around him. Like, everyone was, like, amazed that he made it to campus, and he just looked like a leadoff man during the preseason, like, during the fall. Like, he was working counts, he was drawing walks, he was getting hits. You know, he looked like a guy that could be a, a leadoff man. And then the season comes around, and it just didn't go well. And I think Dave has talked about this many times, is that he had the weight of the world on his shoulders. Because I think it was D1 Baseball, maybe, that named him the 
preseason SEC freshman of the year, and he's supposed to be this hot shot guy that could have been a first round pick if he wanted to go straight out of high school. And, and so there was a lot of pressure on him and he didn't handle it well. And then finally late in the year, specifically the postseason, uh, he just kind of came into his own. I think he hit over 400 in the postseason. He had a five hit game in the college world series an elimination game. And uh, then he also got to a pretty good start uh, as a sophomore um, his numbers kind of fell dramatically at the end because he was playing through a, a shoulder injury that come to find out needed season ending surgery. Uh, so it, it's, I, I don't necessarily know if it was maybe the leadoff spot that was putting the pressure on him or more so just the fact that he was a freshman and had this, you know, the weight of the world on him, uh, because of all the hype and everything. And you hope that he can avoid that this year, but there is the worry. This is his draft year. This is the year he's supposed to go and make money and live up to the hype of being a potential first-round draft pick. Um, so hopefully he can put that all behind him. He got to a little bit of a slow start in uh, these preseason scrimmages. I don't think he had a hit the first weekend. Uh, did get a, I think he got a couple of base knocks the other day uh, in the, the scrimmage on Friday. So hopefully he can kind of you know relax and, and just kind of play ball, as Dave likes to say. Okay, so not, not not as complex as a relationship as maybe I was thinking, but uh, yeah, it's the the he's going to be kind of the his responsibility is this season is going to be hey get on base and and let Diggs and Aloy drive him in. Uh, yeah, two for four with two RBIs on uh, Friday, and of course there's only so much we can take from these scrimmages, but we're gonna overreact to them because that's all that we've got right now. So. Uh, Real quick, uh, the SEC baseball tournament will have some changes in 2025. Um, all 16 teams are going to qualify in a single elimination tournament. Top four teams get a double buy, right? You like this move, Hutch? I think I saw you uh, saying that you were you supported this decision for the SEC tournament. I like it. I like it a lot. I mean, if you finish the top four in the SEC, you you have the potential to just play. You know, I, I can't. I, remember, I can't remember exactly how the format set up in the the SCC release or whatever, but I mean, you could potentially play Friday, Saturday, Sunday, like a normal series and, you know, win the SEC or lose the SEC tournament championship. Um, and you, you'll keep your pitching set up like, Hey, we've got this guy pitching on Friday, this guy pitching Saturday, this guy pitching Sunday. Um, I really like that format a lot. You lose once, you know, you can, you can get out of there. You only lose one game. Uh, you don't have to worry about, you know, previously, if you, got the buy i think it was like the top eight or something i can't remember exactly how it worked it's weird it was a very weird format for one because it would be it was single elimination and double elimination and single elimination and you got all these weird scenarios where you, know, you may it may be only your first loss but you're eliminated because it was the single elimination part again um for one that's too complicated for the average fan to really understand uh when you're in your college baseball you need the fans to really be able to understand what you're doing um, so I think that's, that's a benefit. And then also you always had to worry about your pitching getting all out of whack and having to play a double header and stuff like that. When really in the grand scheme of things, people don't like hearing this, but the SEC tournament doesn't mean anything, especially in baseball. Um, so many, very rarely do you see the team that wins the SEC tournament, you know, make a run to even Omaha. I mean, the only year Arkansas ever won it was 2021 and they got knocked out in the super regionals. Uh, I think Vanderbilt and LSU have both won the SEC tournament and then won the NCAA tournament. Uh, very rare, though. Uh, it's much more common to see a team make a deep run and then lose in the regional or super regional. So, um, and Dave Van Horn treats it that way. I mean, Dave will always say he wants to win. He's a competitor, of course, he wants to win, but he's not going to go out of his way and have Hagen Smith, you know, throw a complete game where he throws 120 pitches in the SEC tournament. That's just not going to happen. He's much more likely to throw Hagen and only give him a 60-pitch count and pull him so he can save him for the next weekend because the next weekend, as we all know, is much more important. Yeah, uh, honestly, if I'm going to be a little self-revealing with everyone right now, my biggest red flag as a sports fan is I think all conference tournaments suck. Uh, because even in basketball, uh, I think it's ridiculous that you can play, especially, it means, especially for the, the smaller leagues out of the power five, I think it's crazy that a team could go 
16 and 0 in their conference and lose one game on a fluke referee call or a buzzer beater and completely miss the NCAA tournament. I think the automatic bids for every single NCAA tournament should be purely based off regular season. And if there's a tie, you know, play an extra game or whatever. So I, if the the more simple and the less meaningful conference tournaments get, the happier I will be as a fan. Uh, I know that's not great news for the good people of Hoover, Alabama, um, but uh, and you know conference tournament hosts across the country. But yeah, I, I don't. I, when we get to conference tournament time here for the SEC for baseball, uh, I will not be putting too much stock into it. Is all, I, all, all I'll say. And it sounds like Arkansas baseball is going to do the same, uh, have the same mindset. Uh, not much more to discuss. I will say on the football front, we did have some news this week when. Ashton Bethel Roman, who I have been calling Ashton Roman Bethel about 50% of the time, but it is Ashton Bethel Roman out of Missouri City, Texas. Uh, He was released from his letter of intent and will not play for the Razorbacks. The four-star wideout was the number three ranked, the third highest ranked recruit in Arkansas's 2024 class. It's a hit, Hutch. No, No sugarcoating it. I think this is a pretty significant loss. For Arkansas, uh, he's clearly their top receiver in the class, especially after Courtney Crutchfield uh, went to Missouri. And that that receiver room, I think there's some potential there and some talent, but they they lack some young, high-ceiling guys. And the 2025 class, that's arguably, I think you can make an argument that that's the most important position the you know offensive defensive line are typically going to be the biggest uh, most important position for any recruiting class um wide receivers right up there even with those two based off the roster based off Arkansas's current roster and the the guys coming in which i think is now just one high school recruit uh, out of the wide receiver um what do you think coach do you think that the, you think Arkansas has enough time here before signing day on Wednesday to get another high school receiver in the fold no, no, I think they're that that ship has sailed. They actually have two because they did add uh, Cross Johnson, the two-star kid from New Orleans, mm-hmm. very late in the process, along with uh, C.J. Brown from Bentonville. Again, like I think C.J. Brown is a very solid player and everything, uh, but he doesn't bring the same cachet as a Courtney Crutchfield that was once committed, as well as Ashton Bethel Roman. So um, that that is it is a blow. Uh, I think you know from for this year specifically, Bethel Roman probably wasn't going to play a whole lot because one, he's not very big. I think he's like six foot, one hundred, you know, what sixty pounds, something like that. So not not very big. Probably needed to develop some, but again, you need to develop down the line because a lot of these guys aren't going to be here in twenty twenty five. I mean, all the super seniors that are back, they're not going to be here. Who knows who the other guys are going to be? So uh, you did need him from a developmental standpoint. Plus. With him out of the fold, your recruiting class now ranks 15th in the SEC, um, but ahead of only Vanderbilt. And honestly, Vanderbilt, if they get a high school commitment this coming week, which granted, I don't follow Vanderbilt recruiting very closely, so I don't know if that's going to happen. But if they do, then uh, you very well could be the first team to finish 16th in re- SEC recruiting rankings. That's not a good thing that's, from a perspective standpoint. That would that would hurt. That would hurt from an optics uh, point of view. It would. I I do think I think Arkansas is going to get a um, at least one commit um, this coming Wednesday as well. Um, I don't know for sure about that because uh, recruiting is kind of crazy these days, and uh, that's kind of out of my uh, jurisdiction right now in terms of what I'm covering is uh, predicting where guys are going, but. I do think that there's, there's a chance Arkansas could snag at least one guy and, and move up, but and maybe avoid that 16th place finish. Um, the bottom line, though, is that this recruiting class just it's it's not it's there's some there's some high high ceiling guys in the class. Um, there's just not enough. There's not enough of them. They 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 needed some more and uh, losing because honestly, I think Bethel Roman. If if he was in this class, they still would have taken Crutchfield, right? It wasn't one or the other. It, they would have gladly have taken Crutchfield, Brown, and Bethel Roman, and now they're left with just Brown and uh, and the Crossing kid from New Orleans. So 
We'll see. Signing day on Wednesday. Uh, I don't think it's going to be too dramatic. Most of Arkansas's uh, targets are already in the fold, but we'll see if Sam Pittman can, you know, pull off, you know, get surprise us because the the Crossland kid was was a, a surprise. Uh, you know, only a two star, but maybe there's there's maybe there's some under the radar guys like that out there. So, um, I think that's it. Forty. We went a little little longer than we normally do today, but I think. Uh, that's good with baseball talk. And like I said at the top, we have uh, three sports all starting to or about to all overlap a little bit here with uh, spring football right around the corner beginning sometime early March. So, uh, yeah, uh, to, uh, Hutch, let's finish how we always do. Just tell the listeners where they can find you on social media and uh, where they can read your work. Yeah, so you can find me on Twitter slash X at NWA Hutch. I post all of my stuff on there, uh, but you can also read it all at bestofarkansasports.com. Got all sorts of great content up there, including I will plug uh, a really nice piece by one of our writers about the uh, hire of Brian Early at Missouri and how that kind of adds Missouri's kind of presence in the state of Arkansas and kind of how Missouri has made such a push uh, kind of invading in Arkansas's territory uh, when it comes to the in-state recruits, like, as we were talking about earlier, Courtney Crutchfield. Good stuff. And uh, you can follow me at Twitter and X, Twitter slash X at Jackson Fuller 16. Read all my stuff, swtimes.com. That's the Southwest Times out of Fort Smith, part of USA Today. And uh, if you're listening to this and you made it this far, please, please uh, subscribe and like the podcast on either Spotify or Apple and go visit Hutch's YouTube and, uh, you know, follow along there. He posts press conferences, other videos as well. So uh, thank you so much for listening. Please, like I said, like, subscribe, follow along. Uh, We're really enjoying doing this and we will be back with another episode released next Monday. Arkansas has a full Arkansas basketball has a full week off before hosting Georgia on Saturday. Uh, We'll see how much work Muss and the boys can uh, put in between now and then. But Hutch, thank you so much, and I will uh, see you soon.